My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving. It was clear that they weren't maybe her favorite person, but the most negative thing that she said was, well, they are a little less than wonderful. I'm Katie Hafner, and this is Our Mothers Ourselves. I've known Lisa Van Dusen for nearly 40 years, and I've always loved the way Lisa talks about her mother, Barbara, with unalloyed love and respect. Barbara Van Dusen, now 93 and still going strong, is positive, kind, and generous. Those are Lisa's words for her. And I'd like to add another. She's brave. She grew up rugged and hardy during her Minnesota childhood, and as a teenager, she went to boarding school in New York, which required taking three different trains. But even that journey, which would challenge many kids, Barbara turned into a positive. Lisa is an artist and civic engagement champion. We talked recently about what it feels like to hit the jackpot when it comes to mothers. You'll hear Lisa and me talk about this, but it's pretty fascinating and great to see how positivity like that just kind of spreads itself around. Also, Lisa's been interviewing her mother a little bit about her life, and you're going to hear a little clip from that as well. Lisa Van Dusen, I would like to thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about your mom, Barbara Van Dusen. It is lovely to be with you and to have this chance to to talk about my mother. Yeah, I have to tell you that I started this podcast a couple of years ago, right when the pandemic started. And I thought, you know, the world could use some joy. And somehow mothers popped into my head. My whole idea for the podcast was to interview people who had extraordinary mothers. It's like nobody with terrible mothers need apply. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was thinking back in my memory banks of everyone I knew who I have to say I envied for their mothers. And then it occurred to me that you also, as I recalled, had a wonderful mother who I've only met a few times in all the years I've known you. So the the podcast is really a celebration of amazing mothers. And it's not that it's saccharine in any way because some of these stories, there's real adversity um, that they faced, but it's hugely positive. So with that, I wanted to ask you to give me one word to describe your mother. Well, this was hard because I thought of a lot of words and I, I talked to my sisters about what word they would choose. And I landed on the word positive. Oh, positive. You just said that because it sort of is the umbrella for so many other words that could come under that. So there are layers to that word. I don't know if you want me to share kind of how I came to that word, but yeah, I'd love to hear how you that came was to that the word. word. So she's, I mean, positive has kind of the double, you're saying everyone's a package really, um, that, that there's kind of this this joy, this cheerfulness, this openness, fearlessness, 
um, confident and generous and curious, all those things. And kind of effervescent was a word my sister used. And she's also like really determined and, and, and confident and, and, you know, like she's positive. She's right. Sometimes she can be convinced the other direction, but there's a, there's a strength side of the positivity. When she's got an idea about something, she will really advocate for that or, you know, be clear about that or, you know, sometimes go to the mat for it. So there's kind of that strength along with that joy and generosity of spirit that is embedded in the word positive. Mm. I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. Actually, she was winning an award and she was on stage and the person introducing her described that they overheard her talking about somebody where it was clear that they weren't maybe her favorite person, but the, the most negative thing that she said was, well, they are a little less than wonderful. So she just really stays positive. (laughs) Less than wonderful. (laughs) Less than wonderful is sort of the most negative thing, you know, she really says about anybody or anything that you've ever heard her say about any. Anything or anyone. Yeah. But it was so, it was just such a great example. So it's become part of our broader family nomenclature. Do you think that someone learns that along the way? Or do you think she was born that way? So it's so interesting because she has three siblings and she's very different. Um, there's one, only one is living still, but she's, she's got a very different temperament than, than everyone in her family. But I think she just was hatched that way. She, she really just sort of popped out. She sometimes talks about like going to her cloud where she's, you know, it, things do not get to her. She just is able to navigate the world with a lot of ease. And I think, you know, she, she is very grateful and feels very fortunate and lucky, but her, her way is just very positive. And I, I just sense that's in her. Well, let's go all the way back to where she was born, when she was born, a little bit about her parents. So my mother was born in Duluth, Minnesota in 1928. So she's 93 now. Um, as she likes to say, you know, I forget if it's like only 93 or just 93, something like that. Um, and she is the second of four children. They're kind of two pairs, her older sister, Jean, Jean Adams, and then her younger sister, Betsy, and then her younger brother, Bob. And they were kind of two pairs because there was some, maybe five years between my mother and her younger sister. Um, And they lived in Minneapolis for a while, but I think really most of the time they were, she really grew up in Duluth, which um, she, you know, refers to as 50 miles past the end of the earth. I mean, it's serious winter there. And she grew up on the shores of Lake Superior and there are moose wandering around the woods right there. And so it was quite a, um, you know, sleigh rides and, and a lot of just, she, she, she likes cooler weather. She, she doesn't do well in the heat, but she's mm-hmm. just intrepid when it comes to winter. Um, mm-hmm. 
Mm. So it was quite a wonderful childhood of, you know, again, being, being in the Northwoods and, um, and then they would go out to Yakima, Washington, where our family has an apple orchard and she would take the train. And, and then she later went away to high school, starting probably at age 14 on the East coast. And there's some interesting stories about her oh, really well, traveling before, to do that. Before we get to that, tell me what her parents did. And so, and what was their, what's your mom's maiden name? My mom's maiden name is Congdon. And so she grew up Barbara Congdon and my grandfather, Robert uh, Congdon was a banker and a lawyer. And um, my grandmother was, you know, a a mother and a community leader in Duluth. Um, She, to my knowledge, didn't ever work outside the home, but was extremely engaged in the community in a variety of ways. Um, They were Methodist, but I think they were not the, you know, they were (laughs) not constrained by any Methodist notions. Um, And they, my father, my grandfather ended up kind of taking on the family business and being the one, he was the youngest of, I forget it was seven or nine, like a lot of children, maybe it was seven um, children. And then he ended up kind of taking over the, the family affairs based again, based in Duluth. So it's real. I mean, I think of people from Minnesota, very um, kind of a rugged lot, very, you know, as you say, fearless about the, about the cold and the winter and, um, it's not, not for sissies. No. And my mother described, you know, going to school, they would like, you know, they'd end up in a snow bank or, you know, I mean, it just was all walking to school on the tops of fences because the snow was up to that level. Just that was all very normal and really wonderful as far as my mother was concerned. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. So then when she was 14, she went to boarding school on the East Coast? She did. She went to Dobbs Ferry, which is along the Hudson, and she would be put on a train in Duluth um, by her parents, uh, an overnight train by herself at age 14. And the first train was to Chicago, and then she would get off, and then she would go to the second station. It was a different station, and stow her suitcase there and then walk over to Marshall Fields, the department store and go to the, the record department and listen to music in all the time, you know, whatever time she had while between trains, she would go and listen to records. She loved, she loved music and she loves music. That's at Marshall Field. You could let like these department stores back then you could go into a booth, right? Exactly. The listening booth. Yeah. Uh And it was so that you could see if you wanted to buy the record, but she would listen to as many records as she could classical Mm -hmm. music, mostly, I think. And then she would buy one record and she would then go back to the, to the second train station and then collect her luggage and then get on the next train, which was the second of three and go on to New York city and then transfer to the next train, uh, up to Dobbs Ferry. 
so all of this age 14, it took, you know, two days. <laughs> she would do this, you know, twice a year. So, oh, so, you know, already some, rather than seeing it as kind of a slog of a trip, she would look forward to her, to her times with, with in the listening booths. Well, wow. and she loved, she loved trains too. I mean, she, she just, she talks about, you know, looking out the window and feeling the, you know, the clickety clack. Like recently we were planning a trip and figuring out how to get from San Diego to LA. And it was like, can we take a train? I mean, she just loves, loves trains. And so trains, I think, bring that out and the music too. Um, And then where did she go to college? She went to Smith College. and Really? Um, yep. I did didn't. not know that about your mom. She loves Smith, and she goes to every reunion, and she's, I don't know how many are left in her class, but she's devoted, and um, she, they always used to, I, I don't know, maybe it was a fundraiser or something, there would always be like pecans, Smith pecans that, you know, would be in the freezer <laughs> somehow, like she maybe bought them as a fun, I don't know what it was, but we always had Smith pecans. And then next to them, there might've been a frozen pheasant because my grandparents were, you know, hunters. And so they would send pheasant that they'd. So I thought everyone had pecans and pheasant in the freezer. (laughs) You know, Smith, I've interviewed a few people on Our Mothers Ourselves whose mothers went to Smith and grandmothers went to Smith. And they were, these were really literary women for whom English and books and all of that played a huge role. Do you know, what did your mother major in? Um, I think she majored in English. Um, So I rest my case on that, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. And she, she really loved it. Like it turns out that, um, there's a funny story about when we were canvassing in 2008 for Obama. My mother came to Longmont, Colorado to canvas and Gloria Steinem was doing a drive through and on her bus and showed up where we were. So there were sort of a news conference thing and we went and my mother, you know, it, you know, wanted to say hello to Gloria because she went to Smith also. So mm-hmm. it was like this identification of the Smith women were, are a, you know, they're a force and a stick together. Anyway, it was funny because she, my mother is very much a bridger of various uh, points of view. She has her very much her own points of view, but she wants to be able to connect. And so she was hiding behind a tall person. So she wouldn't appear on national television um, <laughs> and be outed as, as being a Democrat, even though, you know, cause she's, you know, spent her life as a moderate Republican and, you know, she doesn't feel connected right. to that party anymore, but didn't want to be uh, spotted at that moment. It was funny. Yeah. So, um, so how did she meet your father? So they met um, when she was at Smith. And my father was at Harvard Law School and my father had met my uncle, Sauls Adams, the the husband of my mother's older sister, through the Navy, through being at the University of Minnesota during the war. Um, And they kept kind of crossing paths. There's a funny story about them meeting up in a cab in Chicago, but um, they reconnected when they were at law school. And my, I think my 
my grandparents were visiting that weekend and they were all going to a football game. So my grandparents, my uh, uncle Saul's and my aunt Jean, my uncle wanted to have a date for his, for, I think, I think my, my father, who needed the date? Somebody needed a date. Maybe it was uncle Saul said we need a date for, for Jean's sister or something like that. So my father became that date. And so he, my father sent my mother a ticket to the football game in the mail. And then she came in a little in the middle of the game and they met at the football game. And at which point my mother made some comment about like, you know, being dismissive of football. And it turned out my father had played football at University of Minnesota. So she's dig <laughs> herself out of that one. But anyway, it was it was the, it was the first of um, first of five weekend dates, and then they were engaged. I mean, it just was a very really um, yeah. It was just an immediate thing. I mean, I think she she talked about like when she went home from that weekend, um, kind of giggling to herself about the initials BVD because of the, that was the underwear, you know, named the BVDs. That was so <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> she was sort of trying it on immediately. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's, that's a great story. And then uh, the story got even happier and they got married. And then she, I want to play this little clip where she and your dad, uh, have uh, go on their honeymoon. Oh, when I was 21, I was married. And on a beautiful June day, we drove to Birmingham and had a few nights. And then went on to our honeymoon in Vermont. Came back. We, we drove to Quimby's for our honeymoon, which is a very simple place. And we did things like square dances and swam in the pond. And, um, you know. I love the way she said, well, and we, and then before they went to Vermont, yeah, we had a few nights. (laughs) And it's, but she says it with a bit of a, like, oh yeah, we had a few nights. <laughs> well, you can imagine that, you know, a honeymoon at that point is a different experience. Yes. Um, I very much. And I know. She says it with a real glint in her eye, even yeah. though she's speaking. I know. I love that. Um, so do you think that she always wanted to be a mom and that she how is it that she, one thing that fascinates me when I do these interviews is asking people, you know, how do you think she learned to be a mom? It doesn't come with operating instructions. Mm. No, but I think, you know, if you think about all the parts of being a mom, she just, I think it's just very naturally cares about people and all her qualities are so well-suited I would say for the most part to being a good mother. I mean, you just being open, you know, and being curious and being generous and kind of the determined, like all, and, and all those qualities you need to, to navigate motherhood. Cause it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of joy, but you know, it, it's hard too. And my father was gone a lot. And I just remember thinking like, wait a minute, where why isn't he here? And why are you doing all this yourself? You know, but somehow she just, again, was back to the positive word. I mean, she just was very positive. And um, I guess what I'm saying is that she had 
there was a gentleness about her just in the way she is and an accepting sense that was um, very conducive. And many people have said, oh, they, they wish she was their mother. I mean, I feel like I hit the jackpot. You t- I have news for you. You totally hit the jackpot. I mean, we can't choose our mothers. I mean, technically we can't. Eventually we can. You know, people do that all the time. If they get a, a dud, <laughs> they'll go look for a, <laughs> a lemon. <laughs> a lemon. Look for a surrogate mother or something. So what if you were to describe just in almost emotions or impressions, your childhood, I mean, you must have felt very safe and protected and loved. Mm. I did. I mean, there's one image that, um, that was really, that sticks with me, which is I would come home from kindergarten and my older sister would be gone you know, cause she was in first grade or whatever she was, I guess she would in second grade. No, she was one year ahead. So she would have been in first grade. So I had this little window of time and I don't know where my younger sister was, but I just have these memories of coming home and having tomato soup, like Campbell's tomato soup. And my mother would put these chunks of cheddar cheese in there. So they would melt just a little bit. And we would put Harry Belafonte on the record player. And she would ask me about my morning And it was just like this, it just was like the best. And that, that just to me is like one example of what it felt like. I felt like I had her to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, The other, the other thing about my childhood and I think, you know, our childhood is we really did a lot of like, we lived in a place on a dirt road with a field, you know, behind us and across the road. And we, there was a big bell on our house outside and we would just roam. I would go down to the Creek down the road and wander around and, you know, just kind of explore. And I would, you know, be in the fields and climbing trees. And then, you know, the bell would ring and it would be time to come home for dinner. It was very much a free range growing up you know, do things like she would help us put on plays. We wrote a play um, really? with neighbors and put it on in the barn. Um, and she was like the prompter. I was always, you know, I had, I had a sort of a lead row, but I wasn't very good at memorizing lines. So she, you know, just helped us with the costumes and mm-hmm. the, all of it. But we did a lot of, like, we always made our Halloween costumes. We, we did a lot of making things. We didn't, sort of making our own fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Idyllic comes to mind. Um, and did she, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and did she like to cook? <laughs> she, she talks about, um, she, when she got married, she did not have a clue. She grew up, really? with, a she grew up with a cook. She didn't know how to cook. Nobody taught her how to cook. And she was like, how, what a, what do I do with carrots? Do I buy, she and my father went to the grocery store. They're like, do you buy carrots by the carrot or do you buy them by the pound? (laughs) Like how do you boil an egg? She just had to figure it out. And so she did. And I, you know, I have memories of eating some kind of, well, first of all, she would like serve lima beans as frozen lima beans, which I absolutely hated. And then 
but these other things like cream tuna fish on toast with grape jelly on top, like, what is that? But so a great (laughs) cook growing up, probably not, but Mm -hmm. good enough, you know, and Mm -hmm. then, and then she's become a very, you know, over time she became a very good cook, um, but she was Mm self-taught. And when her mother's side, (laughs) when you grew up, uh, and you saw her then as an you were an adult. What, is there anything about her that surprised you when you started looking at her through an adult's eyes? Mm, love that question. Um, she she did some things like when so we moved from Michigan to Washington D.C. when I was in high school because my father was, was brought in to the um, presidential administration at that time. And um, so I remember he came home one day and said, how would you like to move to Washington? And I was, I think in ninth grade at that point, And I was like, yeah, let's go. So we, my sister and I stayed in Michigan until the end of that school year. And then we moved. And so when I look back, um, can I just, I just want to, I just want to interrupt Lisa to say that something tells me that you really take after your mother in, I mean, I've known you for a long time, but the positive energy that's constantly around you is it's uh, it's worth noting. Okay. So you said, um, you said, okay, yeah, let's go. (laughs) Well, I'm smiling because I feel like I, um, people say that a lot. And I, in fact, my, one of my sisters said that, you know, when I was talking to her yesterday, but, um, so when I look back on the experience of moving to Washington, you know, picking up stakes with a family of, you know, three daughters and a dog and going to Washington, um, and just the way that my mother approached that was so fabulous um, because it really set the tone of like, we're on a four-year field trip here. Let's make the most of this. I mean, she said yes to everything and met um, met people. That it, it was called the sub cabinet. And so, you know, she was playing tennis with the wife of the head of the CIA and, you know, just really getting to know anyone and everyone that was, you know, was open to, you know, to getting to know people, like making friends, even though you're there for a short time, relatively speaking, um, she just dove in. And my father was working, you know, long and hard. And so again, she was on her own a lot, but they also did a lot together. And um, it was, it was a really, I just admired the, just the openness and the, engaged in to be new. And she's, how is she doing that at age 93? I'll give you an example. She's still driving, not very much. And I illustrated and wrote an entire book to try to convince her to stop driving. That was not (laughs) (laughs) She told me that she would by the end of the year. And then she completely denied saying that. Um, Anyway, so my sisters and I recently had, um, decided that, all right, she had a couple of years ago said she would have an evaluation and, you know, both kind of mental, but also physical driving evaluation. So we're actually right in the middle of that. She just had the 
testing where they are testing cognitive things. Mm-hmm. And my my sister reported back um, on that, that she really pretty much aced it. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that were kind of puzzles, games, kinds of things. And she, she loves that. I mean, she, she plays bridge. She's very active and um, she did really well. So next up is the driving part. So anyway, she's extremely, um, you know, active and engaged. And so people and exercise, she's part of a walking group. She's kind of one of the last ones in the group that's doing a lot of walking, but, um, you know, her kind of root, she says everything in moderation and, um, it's stood her in good stead. And, um, where is she living? She's living in Michigan and she lives mm-hmm. in, um, an independent living setting. Mm-hmm. So she has her own apartment and, um, oh, that's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and she can walk, you know, lots of places. And um, she loves to go to the post office. <laughs> she loves letters, including thank you notes. That's another theme for my mother. But she um, realized that she wanted to be around other people, like that she didn't want to age in place because mm-hmm. that was going to be too isolated. And mm-hmm. I think she, so she knows herself and realized that was going to be a good. And your route. dad. She's been on her own without your dad for what, 20 years? Is that about right? 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. Oh mm-hmm. He died very suddenly um, and unexpectedly, yeah, at, um, in 1991. So, and we believe probably that our nephew, um, his grandson, who was named for him, may well have lived because he died, because my sister came, came back to the States to, when she was pregnant with twins and had them here and something was going on with his health that, you know, was tended to quickly here. Um, you know, because my sister lives in on a mountaintop in in Costa Rica. So, um, anyway, so that may have been a good thing that came of it, but that was not what anyone had anticipated, but he died. He kind of died at the top of his game. Mm -hmm. So we miss him a lot. Oh, and she, um, and she must miss him a lot. She does. And I think, you know, she has never, like she, she's gone on some dates, but kind of thing, but I just feel like she, you know, he was the love of her life. And it just, I think even though it was, uh, shortened, it was really a, a magical marriage. So. They, they had some nights. <laughs> they had some nights. <laughs> I love that. So I, I want to ask you one more question, which is what would you most want your mother to know right now about how you feel about her? Let me get weepy. I know I started getting weepy just asking it. So just how much I love her and how I just feel so lucky. I just, I just feel so lucky and I just can't imagine a better mother. I can't, I just can't imagine one. I mean, what a gift, what a what a gift you didn't ask for, but you got. And it's, it's just the way the, the cosmos works sometimes. 
Well, and there's, speaking of Cosmos, I mean, I didn't really talk about her, my mother as a grandmother, but she really, um, she used to have Camp Grandma and pair camp, together. Camp, camp, camp Grandma. grandma. And she would uh-huh. pair two cousins. So I have that we have there's seven grandchildren and she would pair them up. She created these connections between her grandchildren uh, that are really, really strong. And those are in evidence now. And so um, I think, you know, she took them to Minnesota. She did, you know, she she did all these things to to foster both a sense of family and a sense of connection with each other. And, and um, we are about to become grandparents. And so as I think about that, I think, wow, if I can, if I can be half the grandmother that she's been, that would be a great thing. So she's done it with a lot of, just a lot of fun and, um, you know, just really meeting, meeting all those, uh, those grandchildren right where they were. And mm-hmm. so that's, and I think that's a through line of being maybe get better at it. You know, when you're a grandparent, you don't have the same, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is, I'm putting my hands together that that same tension as a parent, mm-hmm. a little more right. kind of air yeah. and freedom. But um, exactly. I was with a friend yesterday who just became a, a grandmother and she said, what's different is that you can, you can really stand outside a little bit. And um, because when you're the parent, you're so in the middle of it and you're so exhausted and that it's so wonderful to be the grandparent and be able to give even more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I, you know, she just has done that and continues to in a really, in a really wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful way. Oh, well, on that note, I would like to thank you so much for talking with me about your special positive, <laughs> um, really extraordinary mother. Well, it's a real pleasure. It's fun to reflect and there's, you know, I could fill many more hours with stories and um, just little tidbits of of what makes her so extraordinary. That's it this week for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Mangin is our artist in residence. The show's producer is Claire Tragesser. Please visit us at OurMothersOurselves.com and contribute the one word that best describes your mother to our mother word cloud. That's OurMothersOurselves.com. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco. And I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Stay safe, everyone. And if you haven't already, do get vaccinated. I know you.